Hello everyone and welcome to Back of the Grid. My name is Chris and I'm joined as always by Stu. Hello. And by Tom. Hello. We're here to talk Russian Grand Prix that should have been on <laughs> Ferrari faster than everyone else. Now look another Ferrari 1-2 and it didn't quite pan out that way. So we will work through all of the goings on. It was another race in a row that was very interesting for yet another very different reason a very strategic race one for the strategy fans um but we'll get there nothing massively of note from qualifying i don't think um the biggest surprise i guess was hamilton managing to split the ferraris which mercedes didn't really look like doing for the entire weekend but yeah a really impressive lap from him there to nick second place he surprised his own everyone was surprised did you hear the radio message afterwards yeah, to uh, to Hamilton. That was uh, that was a funny radio message. Just like, oh yeah, good job, mate. Um, that one coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, outperformed the car a little bit there, didn't he? I think they yeah, really definitely. Excited. Didn't seem capable of that going into it. It's, it's a bit of the old Hamilton effect on the go. Yeah, and where was Valtteri? Like, the, Valtteri started the weekend as he always is in Russia, faster than Hamilton, and then come Saturday, he just sort of fell away from him, didn't it? And he never really showed any pace for the rest of the weekend. Mm. Yes. <laughs> There's some onboard footage from Valtteri that made me think that something had gone wrong setup wise, but it was just that, like he seemed to be soaring around it a lot. Like the the rear end seemed very unstable for him, and, and just a lot of his laps seemed very twitchy. Which is not so I don't what think he maybe they just went a little bit too far in one direction and kind of trash the setup completely and then that was his weekend gone i don't know but yeah quite possibly yeah i just noticed a lot of that in sort of quality specifically yeah i don't recall seeing much of <laughs> much of bottas <laughs> well yeah there is that. it's fairly anonymous um moving on to the race then um well, the first thing that happened was raikkonen started the race um unfortunately <laughs> the race hadn't actually started um which earned him a drive-through penalty, which was a double penalty for him because he jumped the start, stuck the brakes on, at which point the lights went out and everyone else went, and then he had to get going a second or two afterwards. So jump-start penalty and from the back in the first place yeah. basically ruined his race immediately. I mean, that's what you get. Don't jump the start. Simple it's, as that. A, it's a pretty simple rule, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, what you do there normally at a race start, I don't know if you guys know this, but um, you all five lights come on, Mm-hmm. And then they all go off, and then you go after. We, we get into after they've all gone off. No, after oh. they've just so people understand. <laughs> you, I can hear people turn the podcast off because it's got too technical. <laughs> hey, if Kimi Raikkonen can't get it right, then how do you expect us mere mortals to? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just while we're just while we're on the subject of starlights, do you guys remember the little app that someone made where you do the where you wait for the lights to go out and then you can test yeah the reaction time thing yeah yeah we did it because of Bottas didn't we yeah how fun was that yeah we did it was Austria Austria wasn't it where he I mean that is how you do it you (laughs) that's not actually waiting for them to go off that's guessing when they're gonna go off yeah (laughs) that's faster than a human can react yes guessing it and getting it right (laughs) which Raikkonen unfortunately wasn't lucky enough to do 
No. Um, but yeah, that ruined his weekend. He finally came home in 13th, um, which continues a miserable run for Alpha. They've scored three points in four races now, all of them coming from uh, Giovinazzi. Um, so they are desperately looking for some pace. Um, but at the front, when the race actually started, um, Zavell got a really good start. He got pretty much immediately alongside Hamilton. Uh, Sainz as well got an absolute monster of a start. He just cruised past Bottas off the line and then he was alongside Hamilton. And for about three seconds, he was in third place. Yeah. So that was important three seconds there was yeah. McLaren running in third um, <laughs> until that had to break and then Hamilton got back ahead. Yeah. Um, but I guess getting into the important stuff. So once Vettel was alongside Hamilton, he got in the slipstream of Leclerc who was staying on the left-hand side. And he stayed on the left-hand side all the way down to turn... Technically, it's turn two, isn't it? But the first proper corner. Yeah. Yeah, first breaking zone. Which is interesting because the line, the ideal line off the start there is to hug the inside through the kink. So you've got to run up the inside of people. But Leclerc stayed all the way to the left. Vell got nice slipstream, cruised past Hamilton, and then also cruised past Leclerc and took the lead. Mm. Which my immediate reaction was, what was Leclerc thinking, not even attempting to defend that? Yeah. Um, which came to light later on why that was the case, but we'll get there in a moment. Um, behind them, Giovinazzi tried to go in between Ricardo and Grosjean and just sort of got squeezed in between the two of them. Um, it basically ruined both of their races. Ricardo spun around and got some floor damage. Um, he retired eventually from that. Uh, and then Grosjean got punched into the air, into the wall, suspension damage, and ended his race. Uh, went down as a racing incident. I think that's probably fair, would you say? I'd said at the time, I remember sort of mentioning that it's one of those kind of classic early lap scenarios where the guy on the far right-hand side doesn't know the guy on the far left-hand side's there yeah. and vice versa. And the one in the middle is kind of in a situation where either he backs out completely because he's the only one that knows this is going three wide or this that kind of squeeze happens because Grosjean's squeezing him in thinking he's got room. Ricardo's squeezing him out thinking he's got room. He's ultimately got nowhere to go. Yeah. So... Mm. I don't think you can really apportion too much blame anywhere mm. because um, it's it's a difficult one. It's it's hard to like say this is solely your fault in a situation like that. I think, especially on a tight um, a tight first lap corner. Yeah, do you think we can apply percentages of blame to to people in this situation? <laughs> I think because if, I'm about to <laughs> go go for it. Then I think probably twenty. Um, I'd say Ricardo was totally within his rights to be where he was on the track. He he stuck to the inside. He took the racing line. He's on the in, he was like ran mm-hmm. across the curbs, stayed inside. He was sort of minding his own business, really, just getting the overtake done. Um, Grosjean was a little bit further back, and that was a hole that was always going to close. So it might have been more sensible of him to maybe let that one go. Um, uh, sorry. Giovinazzi, sorry, Giovinazzi was in the middle and he was he was going into that and it was always going to close, so he might as well yeah. let that one go, I think. And I, I was about to say, yeah, it was it was him sticking down the middle that kind of caused the entire yeah, scenario, but at, really, at, wasn't it? At the same time as well, though, he was already well within the middle before they all started to as they started to turn in. So Grosjean would have spotted him, I think. 
should have spotted him or should have at least known he was in his mirrors and known that someone was going to come and try and take hold of that gap. So maybe he could have made a little bit more space. So I'd say 60% Giovinazzi, 40% Grosjean for me. Yeah, and that's, that comes back to what I was saying before where like Grosjean probably has seen him coming mm. but maybe doesn't realise that he's got less room on the inside than he thinks because of Ricardo. And that's yeah. I think that's where it comes yeah. down to just that. Yeah. That's why it goes as a racing incident. Yeah, yeah, it's still like a racing say, incident. I think, yeah. I think if if you're going to apportion blame to anyone, it's it's mainly Gio's fault yeah. because the other two are well ahead of him at the time that the move starts. So mm. the thing with like racing incidents, I think, is like there's always there's no incident without blame. There's always a reason why an incident happens, and that's yeah, always as just... a result of somebody's actions. It's just how do you apportion that blame, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I guess we'll get into Ferrari stuff because there was plenty of it. So pretty much straight away, we started hearing radio messages of Ferrari asking Mm -hmm. Vettel to let Leclerc back throw into the lead, which Vettel was basically having none of straight away. He initially said, "Um, I I would have passed him anyway. Let's sort of have another couple laps breaking away and we'll see. And then he was saying uh, Leclerc would have to close up because he was that was easily the fastest man on track at that point, and he was pulling the lead on Leclerc. Yeah, um, and his engineers in his ears saying, "Head down, you're the quickest car on track." Yeah, exactly. I think that's the point they gave up on trying to convince him. But essentially, what what came to light afterwards, and Leclerc basically said exactly this: is that they had a pre-race agreement for Leclerc to give Vettel a strip slipstream at the start because they never expected Hamilton being in between them. I guess, um, which explains why Leclerc was all the way over to the left. Obviously, that slipstream gave Vettel much more speed, gave him the lead. The, the agreement then was supposed to go, Vettel lets the club back throw into the lead. So we had lots of messages back and forth like this as Vettel carried on pulling away. Uh, the club is not best pleased. It was kind of shades of Singapore after he ended up losing the lead uh, through the pit stops. I mean, Vettel's I would have passed him anyway argument doesn't really wash for me given that the club didn't even attempt to defend. Like, yeah. had they been actually racing, then... You can't just say, I would have definitely got him. I mean, no. given the overspeed, he probably would, but I'm not sure that he's a... The thing is, if, if he would, he'd have... Leclerc would have moved onto the inside line and it would have forced, probably forced, it could have forced Vettel onto the outside line and you're not really going to get by on that outside line. No, he'd probably end up running wide, if anything. Yeah, so I think it's, yeah, I think it's pretty um, clairvoyant for uh, Vettel to say... <laughs> yes. I would have got past him anyway. Mystic Seb. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I was half expecting um, James to come on the phone to uh, to Seb at one point. <laughs> yeah, Sebastian is James. <laughs> yeah, well, unlike when Mercedes try and do these things, Vettel was asked five times to give her the position across the first sort of 10 laps or so. Um, and he replied three times basically saying no, and then the next two times he just didn't even bother replying. So Ferrari basically gave up trying to get him to let him buy in the end. And then again, like Singapore, Ferrari decided to bring their second driver in for the first pit stop. Uh, Leclerc was actually the first of the front runners to come in. And then basically kind of did the same thing as in Singapore, brought in the second car first, left the lead car hanging out for a while. Vettel asked to pit saying his tyres were going after two laps and Ferrari left him out for another two laps. Um, so the club got the undercut and took the lead. Uh, now, Ferrari have said they left Vettel out to protect against a safety car because they were worried about Hamilton, but it was them forcing the position change, surely. like There's no yeah, way yeah, that wasn't them anyone, just... 
No, that they were just Ferrari were doing what Vettel refused to do, essentially, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. They, well, they were doing good. They're actually doing good strategy again. It seems like Ferrari are starting to do as a team are starting to do good strategy from the garage now. Well, Dare we've I always said that can only do strategy for one car. It seems like they've moved from the strategy for the lead car to strategy for the car in second now. <laughs> or strategy to at least destroy a race. Yeah, yes, it's not even that. It's it's strategy. It's strategy for the favoured car, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, again, like we said last time out, like as much as one driver may have not been best pleased. The strategy they came up with gave them a one-two at the point where he was executed, um, which ultimately is all Ferrari are there for. They don't really, in theory, mind which way around they are. Yeah. They want to get a one-two, and that's exactly what their strategy gave them. Yeah. And why should they mind at this point in the season when the championship's basically gone? Yeah, they're, also they're, true. They're, they're, you know, There's an outside chance they could chase the team's championship, even though that's very, very, very unlikely. But still, you want to maximize the points, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. It does, however, give us this very interesting situation where we've got two drivers, one of them multiple champion, one of them the new young gun who's currently doing much better. And Vettel is refusing a team order. Like there's no two ways about it. He refused a team order to let Leclerc through, which potentially opens up a world of pain for Ferrari going forward. I mean, like who who do we think like, who's in the wrong here? Like, is Vettel in the wrong for not following the orders? Are Ferrari in the wrong for trying to cook up this whole plan in the first place? I don't think Ferrari think... in the wrong for strategizing their race and, and having a game plan. I think that's absolutely acceptable. So that's my, yeah. straight away, that's my opinion on the Ferrari take on it, the team take on it. I think as well, when you've got a driver like Seb, <laughs> Seb has history of... Not yeah. always yeah. thinking team and thinking more self. Multi twenty one, exactly. Multi twenty one mm-hmm. is the prime example. Like you kind of know that you can't one hundred percent rely <laughs> on Seb, and if if he sees that top step in his sights, he will think of himself. He will think of the points for himself yeah. and his his own he's race a, and his own end game. He's um, a podium shark. Yeah, but like that—that's why he's got the titles that he has and stuff, and yeah. that's why he's been as successful as he has. Is because sometimes you have to think about number one, and I think that yes, maybe he should have shown a little bit more respect to a team decision if it was agreed in principle before the race of like you know this is how we're going to do things, but it's always dangerous leaving your entire game plan in a scenario like that because you don't know what's going to happen and you don't know if that driver's going to go mm. lone shark. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I think, I, think, I think most other teams do know what their drivers are going to do. Well, yeah. So, so it wouldn't be... I think specifically for Ferrari and having their particular set of drivers, then yeah, probably at this point in the season when they're both very close to each other in the championship, both want to beat each other you can't really rely on them to, to execute a plan. I mean, definitely now, after this weekend, there's no way they'll be able to rely on each other to rely on their drivers to execute, can't speak, execute a game plan. Um, I think a team like Mercedes, always, there's always good, they can rely on their drivers to execute a game plan just purely because of mm. there's a very clear, you know, the two, the, the, the two drivers in that team, there's a 
clear gap between the two. Yeah, but I'd also suggest that if Lewis was supposed to do that same thing as Seb for Bottas, I don't know if he necessarily would. I think you'd get very similar messages from Lewis back to the mm. team as what Seb was giving. Like, well, I got past him anyway. Like, I'd have, I'd have done that without the game plan. Like, I'm ahead here, I'm faster. Yeah. Because it's exactly the same mentality. I think Max is another one that would have probably done the same sort of thing of, yeah, but I'm ahead on merit here. I'm, I'm staying here. If he can catch me, he can have it. And to be to be honest, I kind of, at the time I was on Seb's side to a degree, which was basically, look, if he can catch me, I will give him the place, but he's got to work for it. Like I am yeah. the faster man here today. And <laughs> to be honest, to, to a degree, I agree with him on uh, up to that point mm. because he was faster than Charles and all that would have would have happened is he would have ended up feeling like he was being held up and possibly being held up because he was faster at the time. It's actually a, an interesting point you raise because what you're saying is the you, t- you talk about three drivers there, two of them world champions, one of them absolutely has everything he needs to become a world champion, Verstappen that is, and they do all yeah. have that killer instinct and they're the sort of people that if they can win the race in the pre-race <laughs> briefing, yeah, <laughs> yeah, then, then they'll take that. They'll absolutely take it. And you do need to win a championship. You absolutely do need that killer instinct. You need to, you know, really force your authority on a team if you're a driver in Formula One. So, in a way, yeah, I I agree. I do. I can. You know, agree this is Vettel, you, yeah. who's like yeah. coming off like a run of you know a pretty long-standing run of bad results and a lot of criticism like what better way to put an end to all that than with two back-to-back wins both of which when you were the fastest man out there like he's not just going to roll over and give that up is he yeah and i think this is no, why ferrari no, no. may be silly not. to generate this plan in the way they did in the first place like what I'd be worried about if I was um, yeah. Ferrari right now is you've got this bubbling under the surface now and we're at the tail end of a season that neither of their drivers is realistically going to win. Like, Give it a few months and they're potentially fighting for a championship between the two of them. Like, For that to be bubbling under the surface already is <laughs> it's dangerous yeah. for the future, I think. Yeah. I think it's been coming all season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's absolutely, it's been poised all season to, to happen. We even said in the season preview and even when he got, when Leclerc got signed for Ferrari a year ago, however long it was, you know, we were, we were absolutely tantalized by this, this prospect of the young driver coming in and disrupting the, the status quo at Ferrari. And hmm. we're finally, we're seeing it happen. It's happening. It is happening. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> Bring out the meme. It's happening. <laughs> but then at the same time, I think, Vettel's maybe now got past the sort of struggles he was having. He's maybe got past being rattled by the new young gun. And he's kind of, well, last two races, he's been quite comfortably the fastest Ferrari driver. So uh, it's maybe the pendulum swung back in his favour between the two of them now. I mean, obviously, it's not in terms of results, which mm. we'll get onto in a minute, but it's a, it's a really fascinating driver pairing. Yeah. Yes, it is. But yes, speaking of which, Ferrari claimed they were protecting against the safety car and maybe ironically, it was a virtual safety car that undone, undid their race and it was one of their cars that caused it. Uh, Vettel managed a whole three quarters of a lap after his pit stop. 
uh, before his MG UK failed, caused him to retire. And as a result, Hamilton got to pit under the VSC uh, and keep the lead of the race that he inherited when the Ferraris pitted. Where should we go first? There's a lot to talk about at this point. Let's let's first mention, so Thomas Austin Morgan wrote in to say this, uh, do you think the pit lane should be closed during the virtual safety car? It's supposed to neutralise the race, but pitting always gains an advantage. And this this race in particular seems to have caused a lot of that discussion. Mm. I'm interested to know what you guys think about that. <laughs> yeah, but would you not then have to close it during a normal safety car? I think the difference is under a normal safety thing, car even if you pit and lose position by the time the race restarts you're a few car lengths behind that person in front whereas with the virtual safety car you're a predetermined distance mm-hmm. apart and that won't change i guess is the difference yeah i think the big problem in that scenario as well is i'm pretty sure there's scenarios where you can end up if you manage your um, time gates right for where you need to be at certain checkpoints under the virtual safety car, you can actually end up yeah, gaining time by pitting almost because of the way that the pit speed limits work at certain tracks. And I think there is a strategical benefit to that. That was China, wasn't it? When um, it was last season's China race where... No, uh, I think so. Yeah, Danny Rick and Danny yeah, Rick. Danny Rick burgled the race, didn't they? They double pit, they double stacked their pit stop, and Danny Rick yeah. won the race. Um, yeah, it's. I suppose we've never had a situation in the past. I mean, the virtual safety car is a relatively new feature in Formula One, so it takes a few years for these kinds of things to sort of surface and become strategically part of of of. Uh, of the spectacle um yeah uh, would it be sensible to close the pit lane what, so the, the reason the pit lane used to be closed during a safety car was for safety reasons it was to stop everyone piling into the pits and making the pit lane a very very dangerous place because you had a lot of especially in the refueling gear, yeah right? you had refueling rigs and stuff so they took i think they took that they they stopped it when they ended refueling didn't they? They they made it so that you could pit during the safety car when they. I believe so, or like a short time afterwards, maybe. Yeah, it wasn't long afterwards. No, and that was also when they brought in the um, the lapped cars can overtake the safety car and rejoin the back of yeah. the back of the crocodile, as Martin Brundle likes to call it. Um, do, so the question here is: Do we think the pit lane should be closed during a virtual safety car? Isn't it? And uh, I kind of like that it adds a bit of strategic drama. Some would say that it like sort of lotterifies the race maybe a little bit, turns it into a gamble, but I don't know. Like, It's it's a funny one. It, I think it's, it's not a thing I've really thought enough about to make a proper conclusion on. I don't think the virtual safety car pit is the sole reason for the result ending up the way it has, though, because you've got to remember that the Mercs started on the harder tyre. Yeah, that's true. They started on the medium. Yeah, they were always going to go long. So they were always running a different strategy to the Ferraris anyway. So, like, they were in the position that they were in because they were on a different strategy. 
Like, so the Ferraris were always going to have pitted earlier and the Mercs were always going to have gone longer. And yes, fair enough, maybe it didn't cause the race to fall back to Ferrari like you may have expected, but it's not like there wasn't another safety car and it's not like Charles didn't have a chance to be right up the back of both Mercs and make something of it, but the Mercs played the strategy of let's be on the faster tyre at the end of the race in order to defend mm. from these Ferraris. So that's, or, or attack them as the case may have been. But either way, they made that strategical call before the race started in Q2. And that's what brought us to where we were as much as the virtual yeah, safety car. Yeah, you're not wrong. But the thing is, if, if it wasn't for that virtual safety car, the Mercedes would have pitted and come back out behind a Ferrari, both Ferraris, depending on how hypothetical you want to be about it. Um, and yes, they'd have been on the uh, faster tyre at that point, but they'd have had to catch them and pass them. And I don't know, I, I just feel, I kind of felt the same as when we were at Silverstone and Hamilton um, gained from the virtual safety car then. It's always it comes a real safety car, a virtual safety car. Yeah, it cost us a race, didn't it? It just kind of... The second it happens, it's like, oh, well, that's that over then. Yeah. Oh, yeah, these mer- these Mercs have not got what they've got on merit. I'm not trying no, to say and, they have. Oh, no, well, no, that. But what I mean is, like, there were other safety cars and there were other scenarios and the Mercs were always going to be going longer. So, ultimately, it's not... It, what I'm saying is this, the virtual safety car and the fact that they were able to pit under it is not the, like, sole reason for the no, result. It's not, no, it's not, way it was because I'd, I'd not really thought about this much until i saw people asking the question this weekend whether it should be a closed pit lane in a virtual safety car and i guess the the difference between a virtual and real safety car is if you pit under a safety car it's a risk reward thing like you're going to lose positions because you're in the pit lane but you know that you're then going to be in the snake of cars on the restart you're right up behind the guys in front of you you've got a chance to get something back from having taken the pit stop. With a virtual yeah. safety car, you're guaranteed that if you pit at that point, you're coming out of it with an advantage. Like if you're, obviously, you know, if you've already yeah. made your pit stop, you're not going to. But if you're vaguely in the pit window, it's just a guaranteed advantage. There's no real risk reward to it. So yeah. I actually think I am leaning towards maybe they do need to start closing the pit lane in virtual safety cars because it does kind of... You use the word lottery, Stu, and it kind of feels like that. It's like this race, the well, yeah, Mercedes it's... happened to be in the position where a virtual safety car benefited them, so they won the race. And it wasn't, yeah. you know, obviously, yes, by starting on the harder tyre, that put them in a better position to take advantage of a safety car, you could argue, but... Not only, well, yeah, I mean, moving moving away specifically from this instance of the virtual safety car affecting the result... It, it, part of it, looking at it more broadly, as kind of like of a, of a thing where should it, you know, should should this should this be a rule that's implemented across the season? Like in China, I think the reason it worked so well for the Red Bulls that we mentioned was because they were in exactly the right position on the track to pit at that point and and lose very little time from doing it. They were basically at the pit entry, yeah. When the or they were like a few hundred meters away from the pit entry when the virtual safety car came out. So a big factor in all this is 
where you are on track when the virtual safety car comes out. And that's that. there's an element of luck involved in that. And you have to be very, very lucky, I think, to be in the right place at the right time when the, when the virtual safety car is engaged for you to get the full benefit of pitting under it. Because if you've got to do a whole lap at the same speed as your rivals and then yeah. you do the then you do the pit stop and then you have to go out and do a whole another lap at the same speed of rivals, you've not you've not gained. The only way you really gain is if you they have to do a whole lap or a or a chunk of a lap and you have to do very little of a lap. Yeah. Make your pit stop and then it comes in very quickly within like two laps. If they leave the safety if they leave the VSC out for longer, it it kind of it nullifies that advantage, I would have thought. Is that am I right in thinking that? Yeah, no, no, you're right. It's um yeah, where where you are on the track relative to pit lane and where it comes out makes a huge difference to the time gain or loss. Yeah. Um I, I guess just overall I think people like to see success and wins earned. And a race like this, Mercedes didn't earn that win. They inherited it by circumstance. And like Toto Wolf openly admitted after the race, he's like, we looked into this win. And it's just not as satisfying as someone actually earning a win. Like if, if they'd, through strategy, been on a faster tire at the end and they'd chased down the Ferraris and passed them, that would have been fantastic. Well done them. But it wasn't. Circumstance gave them the lead and they held on to it. And that's... It's missing something. Uh, I have yeah. another question here. You have to think of the flip side of this as well, which is what if someone was about to pit and then they couldn't because say they implemented a rule that means the pit lane is closed when a virtual safety car comes out and you're literally, you're in the pit, you're, you're at the pit entry as mm. the light goes red coming into the pit lane. Or, or well, I suppose you would change your tires and then you get to the end of the pit lane and there'd be a red light stopping you from going out of the pit lane until the virtual safety cars um yeah past, as, as as we see used that to bit see. horrid yeah that, that that'd ruin your race so you, it could be that you have a race leader pit have their race wrecked because a virtual safety cars come out at the wrong time for them and yeah. think, as, you, there's an argument to say it's at the race director's discretion as and when he brings out that set virtual safety car and if it's that urgent then it should just be a safety car but, yeah, I, I guess you'd have to have it so if you were already in the pit lane or entering the pit lane at the point it was triggered, you could still leave it. Like, I know they have this in IndyCar under, um, yeah. under yellow flags of pit lanes closed, and I don't really fully understand how the rules work in IndyCar, to be honest. Like, if you happen to be in the pits at the point it's thrown, can you still leave? I don't know. It's, it's something mm. to think about. It's... Uh, yeah, I don't think it's as as black and white as just saying, "Oh, we turned the, you know, we we closed the pit under a virtual." No, not at it's all. Not, it's not as simple as that. That it's it's like anything in Formula One. It's a, it's a, it's complex. It's it's got and it has nuance. And yeah, you can't just you can't just implement a blanket rule change and expect no, it to solve the problem because yeah, we've yeah. said it in the past. You know, a lot oftentimes. They implement rules and they're papering over the craps and cracks, and there's a bigger, there is a much bigger picture to it. Yeah, I mean, we, we've we've discussed how big an effect on a race a virtual safety car can have. So, what's to say that making rule change won't make it have an even bigger effect on races? Like, yeah, exactly. I, I'm hoping there's not some knee jerk reaction to this, and I don't think there will. Be. I, I, I don't. They don't. A lot be. of it's they don't see it that way fans, anymore. It's internet voices. A lot of it. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah, so under that virtual safety car, uh, Russell ended up in the barriers, um, which turned it into a full safety car. Um, I've not been able to see exactly what happened. It looks like something failed on his car. Um, yeah, I don't know officially, but there were. if you actually look at it from outboard, there's like one wheel locked and the other one's still rotating, which to me would say there's some kind of brake issue as he's gone to break for the corner, but you can't say for definitely. No, I saw him say it almost felt like going into that corner, his front left was just suddenly in the air, which is why the brake was locked up and not actually slowing him down. Yeah, it must have been that suspension of some kind. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, um, shame for him. Um, And then Williams retired uh, Kavitsa's car shortly afterwards, and they said they retired the car to save parts going into the next couple of races uh Kibitza was not best pleased about the fact that yeah they retired his car for that reason but that's shocking that isn't it's it? not a good that's look is bad. it <laughs> not, it's good, not at a all. good look at all um so back to the front ferrari then decided to pick the again for fresh softs under the normal safety car um which means he then dropped from second to third um which i don't know that was that a risk worth taking do you think that they're essentially gambling because that point Mercedes had fresher tires. Uh, there was probably a good chance yeah. Bottas was going to catch him, so probably a gamble worth taking. I think so. I think that it wasn't a bad strategy call. Let's put it that way. Like it maybe didn't pay off the way they wanted it to, but I don't think at that point they had a huge much other choice, did they? I don't think mm. so. Um, yeah. It was kind of it was a bit of a why not, wasn't it? Kind of was like you've you've lost yeah. the lead. What's third versus second at that point when you're yeah. not really fighting for a championship? Um, he didn't get the fastest lap out of his newer set of boots, which was maybe a surprise given how fast uh, the Ferrari has been all weekend. Um, then again, I suppose he was spending most of those laps uh, trying to either trying to pass Bottas or slowing down to recharge to have another go passing Bottas. So I guess he never really had clean, fast laps, did he? No. Not that I can remember. No. He dropped back a little bit every so often, but yeah. I think that was more to cool down, recharge, yeah. and then have another go, like you say. So I don't ever really remember him having a, a proper opportunity to go for a fast lap. No. I think he was talking about it like with two or three laps to go, saying... Like, what's the point? Can I just drop back? And the I know that they told him the fastest lap at the time. Yeah. Saying it was a, a one thirty six at the time, but then Lewis did faster than that anyway and dropped to one thirty five something. Yeah. And he probably so, shredded his tires by that point as well. Yeah. He did do the second fastest lap, but you don't get a point for that. No points for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had a few goes at passing Bottas, but he never really looked like he was ever gonna make it, did he? I don't think. Um, I, I should point out that I missed this entire section of the race. <laughs> I need a little klaxon or something like <laughs> every time like I missed part of the thing that you're talking about because I was busy doing my job. Well, you didn't miss a ton, to be honest, in, in, at least at the front. Um, yeah, he never really looked that close to uh, making a pass. Probably not helped by the fact that the last sector in Russia is apparently designed to stop cars being close enough to um, overtake on the following straight. Um, yeah, which is that's why, so why I'm the following straight if you don't want people to overtake. Oh, that, yeah, that, that last sector is abysmal. What, so they've designed into the track? I mean, they've not. This is me. Function to not overtake. This is me cars. having oh, a right. pop at that circuit because it's right. miserable. Um, but yeah. Yeah, there is, there is something about the Russian Grand Prix that always seems kind of like a bit 
under a dark cloud almost, it feels to me. It's because it's just a race around a giant car park. Yeah, hardly yeah. anyone's it, there. You can, you can literally see the parking spaces, can't you, at parts of that track? It, you, you're absolutely right, Tom. It's very, very Valencia. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we had this discussion during the race, didn't we? Like, Valencia was one of those tracks that was really awesome, fun to drive on, like, a sim game, like an F1 game or, or whatever other sim you might decide to boot up. It was a really fun track to drive, but it generated absolutely crap races. And this to be totally honest, does the same kind of thing. Like, it's quite fun to drive to a degree because of the the sweeping corners and the stuff like that. It's like, a, do I dare keep my foot in this? But then, in terms of racing, it just means nobody can follow each other that well. There's no real chance for overtaking. And then, like you say, that last sector kind of breaks any kind of proximity you've got to the guy in front to have a go down that long straight and it's not like the it's not like you can't overtake all we saw some good moves so it's not like it's impossible it's just when the cars are advantaged and disadvantaged against each other the way that the mercs and the ferraris are they just end up nullifying each other like was what was happening between bottas and leclerc because Mm. of where the strengths and weaknesses are of each car respectively but you could say that about any track I mean, maybe, but this one is... Like, if you watch the close on boards, he, through the whole lap, he was gaining, gaining, gaining on Bottas. Then he'd get to the last kind of four corners and just drive into understeer city, lose all the advantage he'd gained. So by the time he got to the straight, he was barely in the DRS zone, if at all. And then he'd spend the next two-thirds of a lap catching up again, get to those last four corners, understeer all over the place, lose advantage again. And it was just that laugh after that. Exactly like Barcelona. It was, yeah, similar similar issues. Similar. Even worse, though, I'd say. Mm. Um, So, yeah, as a result, uh, he couldn't uh, really make any headway, uh, which gave us a very unlikely uh, Mercedes 1-2. Hamilton from Bottas. Hamilton gained the full 26 points for fastest lap as well putting him ever closer to that championship. How many fingers we're talking this time, this week, guys? <laughs> it's got to be like, you know, like the bottom bits of your fingers just before it joins onto your palm? He's got, like, he's, yeah, you've got like four of those, like All four you're, of you're those. clutching, the four of those are on it. Your thumb's not maybe, quite in Maybe contact. the thumbs, yeah, it's the thumbs just, coming round. Yeah, yeah, it's like a couple of millimetres away. <laughs> okay, so four full, finger, four full fingers and a grasp. <laughs> so a yeah, weekly check-in so, with Hamilton's hands. Yeah. A, lo- a loose grasp, a loose grasp <laughs> on the title. Um, technically, there's five drivers that can still win the title, but realistically, there's one. Um, yeah. Do you know my favourite thing to come out of this weekend when it comes to titles? Um, I can't remember which Twitter account it was, so apologies that I can't quote them directly. Um, correct me if you do know who it is, but there was somebody basically tweeting out... Um, so Leclerc can still win this title. All he needs to do is win every single race and Hamilton DNF them all. So what needs to happen is Seb needs to take out Lewis in every single race for the remainder of the season and Leclerc win them and we're all good. Yeah. <laughs> and basically highlighted what the table would look like nice. if that happened. And can it is possible. Can you imagine <laughs> well, what would happen if that happened? There's one problem with that delightful. Plan. Um, as soon as Vettel took him out once, he'd probably get enough penalty points to be banned for a race, so he wouldn't be able to take him <laughs> out the next race. Yeah, that's there true. is that. Because <laughs> oh he's still on the cusp until after Japan. Yeah. 
I don't think Vettel's that much of a team player after this weekend either. I don't think so. <laughs> Um, Hamilton's now led 143 Grand Prix, uh, which is a, yet another record he's took from Michael Schumacher. And he's now only nine wins away from Schumacher's all-time record of 91 wins, which is wow. yet another of those records that you thought you'd never see beaten. And yeah, yeah. that's, that's, wow. That's a, that's a very, uh, that's a good record, isn't it? Really is. I mean, I remember a point in time when you almost would have said that the number of championships he was more likely to catch than the number of wins, but the amount Hamilton's won the last couple of years, he's just marching towards it. Um, yeah. I guess, I guess, one thing that plays slightly to advantage is having more races in a season. These that days. does help, actually. Still, yeah. it's, it's still impressive. Um, but yeah, some of Schumacher's championships, it was like 16, 17 races. Yeah, you've got yeah. like four or five extra races sometimes these days. Mm. So. There is, there is that to factor in, but it, like I say, it's still impressive to, to be that dominant during an era. Imagine the weekends off you could have, Stu, if we went back to a 17-race calendar. Oh, it'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> We'd have some really low podcasts, though. Yeah. <laughs> With no content. Yeah. <laughs> it's a preview, preview week. Um, <laughs> right, looking back down the rest of the grid, uh, the Red Bulls, um, Verstappen went from ninth to fourth, and Albon, who started in the pit lane, for all the way back to fifth, which was a really impressive drive, um, making some really good overtakes along the way, uh, including a battle with Gasly that was probably one of the highlights of the race. I would say that was yeah, that was some proper. There's something personal behind this as well, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, there was a lot more to that than just an on track position. Yeah, but another really really good drive from Albon. That's um. Every race for Red Bull now, he's finished in that top six where you'd expect a Red Bull to finish, hasn't he? Mm. Yeah, the disappointment really is the Saturday, the mistake that he made. Yeah. Like, I know the car kind of swung around on him a bit sharp because of the way that these cars do tend to go. Yeah. Well, he said like, once they're gone, they're gone. But he got a gust of wind, he said. Yeah, Quite he Rosberg. got a bit of a tailwind, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's one of those things, like, he shouldn't have needed to put in the drive that he did. It's not to take away from how good of a drive it was. He shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. That's the unfortunate thing. I yeah, guess. it was a but, poor uh, weekend up until that point, wasn't it? Yeah, but at least he's able and capable of doing that. Whereas Gasly, when he was in it, struggled to sort of get much further into the top 10 once he made that ground. He didn't really get into the top six, did he, when he had to do those fights through the field? And he was finishing like ninth, eighth, maybe seventh, whereas Albon appears to have cracked yeah. the car and, and can get it back to where it should be, I guess. Yeah. Gasly's best um, result was uh, fourth place in Great Britain, um, and he got a fifth place in Monaco as well. They were the two best that he did. Yeah. Um, and the rest of them have been, yeah, 6th, 8th, 11th, retirement, 10th, 7th, 14th in Germany. But Germany is like, Germany was Germany, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was Germany was Germany. Complete lottery. Um, Albon's up to 8th in the championship now. He is 14 points behind um, Carlos Sainz and he is a yeah. 17 behind Gasly. So he could still catch Gasly by the end of the season. Yeah, I think yeah, he will. I'd expect him to. I think he would. Based the way on the, he's gone yeah, and, based on the yeah. current performance, I think he would do. Who else? McLaren. They had another good result after a few races of bad luck, which is nice to see. Yeah. Uh, signed sixth and Norris eighth, uh, split by Perez, who also had a good race to hold on to seventh. Um, P3 
Perez was. I feel like my one to watch paid off by saying science like needs some good luck. Give him some, and he'll get some. Yeah, and he got it, and he was did everything with it. Um, Perez was very happy with his race as well. He said that was basically the absolute maximum they could have done. Um, with mm. when? Where did Perez, I think Perez? Start, I think I'm just looking. Just give me a second, Perez. I think Perez started a place down. Norris, Norris definitely lost the place, and Norris started in. On the starting grid, Norris was seventh. Yeah, Hulkenberg sixth. Perez way down in eleventh. So Perez had a monster drive to get himself. <laughs> yeah, really impressive uh, drive. Sixth. That. Yeah, he's done well. Uh, seventh was Perez, wasn't he? In yes. The, in the result. Yeah. Um, yeah. Norris. Eight. So Norris lost the position, sadly, but um, still. Oh no! I said sadly. That makes me a Norris fanboy. Fanboys. Super fan. Fanboy alert. We need another klaxon for every time we do something <laughs> fanboyish, don't we? <laughs> Renault had another pretty miserable day. Uh, Ricardo retired early on, as we mentioned, and Hulkenberg just scraped a point in 10th. Um, the Toro Rossos were fighting each other for a while. They had an absolutely massive scrap, um, including one of the most lungy lunges into Turn 1 I've seen in a very long time. Uh, Gasly, I mean, he didn't even come close to making the corner, did he? <laughs> Like <laughs> he came so close to taking out both Toro Rossos. Um, and oh he yeah, also, he locked up a front left, didn't he? On these, he braked about yeah, fifty meters later than he'd ever braked before. I think yeah. locked up, <laughs> nearly took out his teammate, um, and lost a place to Raikkonen in the process. What else? Magnussen. Magnussen crossed the line in eighth, but he got a five-second penalty, which dropped him to ninth for um, not following the escape route uh, on the exit of turn two properly. Um, the rule was basically if you went all the way over the orange curbs before the apex you had to take the escape route rather than rejoin the track, um, which yeah, he and Hass argued that he didn't actually fully go off track. Um, and also they argued that it was too dangerous to take the escape route in the current situation. Um, they were not best pleased though. Hass and uh, Magnussen were pretty livid after that. In fact, Gunter Steiner might be in trouble with the FIA. He said on the radio, <laughs> if we wouldn't have a stupid, idiotic steward, we would be eighth. And the FIA apparently looking into whether to speak to him yeah. about those comments. Yeah. He's, um, he's potentially in trouble. Yeah. For, yep. like, although I mean, it, 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 there's, not, there's not necessarily a problem with him disagreeing with it, though. It's, it's about how you do it, isn't it? Like, I haven't got a problem with him wanting to dispute it and, and like, appeal it or whatever. That, you know, he's within the rights to do it. But. Come on, it's a world-covered sport where nearly every country in the world is watching it to some degree. He knows full well that comments like that are going to end up on live television, yeah. like which, which is why you did, which on. is why, you, which is why he didn't name the steward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but even still, like it's just, it was, it was pretty irresponsible. It was a bit right? silly. Yeah, like he should know better. Well, mm. the last time something like this happened was a few years ago, and Sebastian Vettel told Charlie Whiting to f off over the radio, and he just about got away yeah. with that. So. I imagine Gunstein will be probably fine. Yeah, he did. <laughs> but, uh, he did. He did a bit worse than that, Chris. He, uh, he called him a. Uh, I can't even say it. Can't even say it. I'm going to save. Uh, it's a family Tom's show. Trouble of bleeping it. It's a family, it's a family show. show. Thank you. But think, <laughs> imagine, imagine the worst swear word that you can think of. That's and it was worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> Times ten. <laughs> uh, I had more. On, I had more on this Hass thing. So Go ahead. Hass, um, the, the, one of their arguments was that maybe they should have got a black and white flag. That this is, I, mm. I think, this is the first. This is the first instance that we've had <laughs> of of people bringing up the black and white flag. Why didn't I get a black and white flag for this disc- discrepancy that I did, or that my car, my driver did? And 
it's an example of what we said that the rules are already quite gray and very difficult to enforce. And yeah, it's kind of like the black and white flag has made those gray areas even grayer, I think, as a result of it coming out. Yeah, what what doesn't help with them making that point and possibly the reason they've done it is there were like another two or three other incidents that got that flag of a careful what you're doing here, whether it was, I can't remember the exact scenarios, but there were multiple points during the race where it was said, so-and-so has received a black and white flag for doing this. Like, and it was brought up during race commentary. Oh, was so it? it was, a couple yeah, of times, yeah. I think, I think Hulkenberg got one at some point for something that he'd done um, and stuff like that. So it was, it was actively being pointed out that these drivers have had these black and white flags for these other things. So I can okay. I can kind of understand their gripe a little bit with it because other drivers were getting them. Yeah, but it, the, it's right. It, it brings up that whole what's worthy of one and what's not, I guess. Yeah. Um, but then again, they they gave him the penalty. So there is, there is a line where going back to that yellow card metaphor, you've got that line of sometimes something's just a straight red and you don't get the benefit of a yellow. Like, and it, as long as they can start defining that line as to what stops being a warning and becomes a penalty, then I guess I guess their point would be you were told to use the escape road yeah, in this scenario. Yeah, exactly. You didn't, therefore penalty. Yeah. So that's well, they'd, they'd call no grey area, is there? Yeah, they'd call it a black and white rule. Like if you go off at that point, then you have to do this. And they'll say, you didn't do this. Yeah. You didn't obey the rule. Therefore, it is a slam dunk penalty. Um, but yeah, it's just, for me, it's an example of like people... You know, not quite knowing if if the black and white flag rule wasn't there, would he have then taken the escape route? Would would he have actually taken yeah, the escape true. route? Did he did he not? Take yeah, they were it banking thinking, on it. Oh, they might give me a black and white flag. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. I'll get away with it. So, you know, maybe it's an example of where it's, uh, someone's someone's taken a gamble and they've not. It's not paid off. Yeah, there's possibly yeah, possibly, possibly also given the massive accident there was in formula two um caused yeah. by someone not respecting those rules they were maybe being uh you know extra vigilant, vigilant. about staying on top yeah. of those yeah. rules potentially um you know you would hope there in one incident doesn't change the way you apply a rule but you've got to imagine it would be in the back of your head when you're watching for things like that yeah, yeah, that, but there's also re- you know the accident that we did see is the reason that the rule was there in the first place. Yeah, true. It proves so why it exists, and it proves why the rule was there for that particular corner, and it brings up a whole other debate that it's not worth having time for about the fact that it's just tarmac runoff. But well, that's yeah, a whole other thing <laughs> no, for a whole other yeah, time. Yeah, oh, um, goodness. But like the reason that the rule that Magnuson broke was there was highlighted in F2 when it wasn't adhered to its fullest and drivers were trying to race them each other through that escape yep. road thing yep. that they were supposed to do. And that's that's why the rule's there. Yep. So. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, would you like to give me a driver of the day? Anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that I voted for signs. <laughs> the, the, the official driver <laughs> of the day with a 21% portion of the vote was Sebastian Vettel. With the sympathy, what a joke. with the with the twenty one percent sympathy vote, <laughs> um, 
I, I certainly don't think Sebastian Vettel deserved driver of the day. Honestly, I don't think any of the top three deserved to be in the top three. It was Vettel, Lewis, and Leclerc. Lewis, oh Lewis got there by yeah, like by so chance. Weird. Leclerc, to me, not underperformed, but was too busy sulking about the team orders and could have just got his head down and got on with it. And Vettel was purely sympathy for it because his engine, his, his Kerr's unit went. Like, yeah. There were far better, better and more deserving drivers yeah. like Science and Albon that should have been getting those votes. And I made a really, not a controversial tweet, but I did tweet out, I voted for Science because I actually watched the race this week. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's absolutely fair. You're well within your rights to do that. I, 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 mine, yeah, very mine's probably so. Albon, I think, to come back. Yeah, he's in a he's in a much quicker car than the people he's gone by, but he's still new to that team. He's still new to that car, and he's obviously got the goods, and he showed it um, in Russia. So yeah, yeah. He's, Albon's got my vote. It was Albon I had in mind as well, especially given that he started from the pit lane. I thought that was a there, there was lots of opportunities for him to have incidents with people as he was coming through the field, and he did a very good job of yeah. not having yeah, those the, incidents. The only um, reason I went for signs over Albon when I did is because. It's like I would sort of alluded to before. It was Albon maybe shouldn't have put himself in the position to need that drive, but it doesn't take anything away from the fact that yeah. he did it. So yeah, yeah, it's driver I'm, I'm, of I'm the day. To give it to he Albon. definitely wasn't driver of driver Saturday. Of, driver of the day, not the weekend. Driver of the day. Exactly. And on the exactly. day, he, he, yeah, yeah, he, he definitely wouldn't be winning performed. that. Cool. That's unanimous. Speaking of Albon, maybe move of the day. The one around the outside on the. Was it on the Torosso after that big old yeah, duel? Yeah, Gasly. That, that was a... Was it through turn Gasly, three? Yeah. Is that turn oh, three? The big wide left-hander. I don't know what they all are. So uh, turn two is the sharp one where Magnussen went off and turn three, yeah, is the big, big sweeping left-hander. Yeah, yeah. The big long left-hander. Was it the, around the outside of that one? I, be, I can barely remember. No, he was on the inside through there and then when they got to turn four, he managed to keep it around the outside oh, yeah, of turn yeah. four. To that was it. So it was a long old move and they're my favourite ones. So Albon gets it for me there as well. Actually, technically the long left-hander is turn four. Right. Apparently. Okay. Fine. <laughs> that one. Anyway, that, that was the move I had in mind as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy with it being that one. That was the one that stood out for me at the time as well. That was easy. Mm. Uh, and finally... Honestly, what the f- are we doing here? Uh, it's it's Anything hard, isn't it? To mind, it's hard not to sort of the 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 kind of like debacle between down at Ferrari over like the the drivers. It well, kind actually, of Ferrari is. didn't do any. Ferrari didn't necessarily do anything wrong. It was more like <laughs> it was a bit mm. like. At first, it was like, "Is how is this even happening? How is this even a thing?" And it, then, then it, when it became clear that they had a plan and the plan wasn't being executed, that was kind of like, "What?" But I do like the whole, like, "Well, you're not going to do it our way. We'll make you do it." Kind of <laughs> yeah. mentality, though. I'm like, "You will wait yeah. out there for a pit it, stop. You will is, suffer yeah. for this." And for that reason, I don't think we can give it to Ferrari because they they kind of they managed it all. Re- I think managed, Ferrari managed it amazingly, considering the pressure they were under from both drivers. The team just got that part of it all right. We never saw it fully shake out because of the inevitable happening. Well, the inevitable, the eventual retirement of um, of Vettel. I think if I had to give this to anyone, it's probably Williams for bringing Kubica in. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's. I hadn't thought of that. That's not a bad one. Um, 
The only other thing I had in mind was uh, Alpha getting the jack stuck underneath the car and then in an effort to yank it out, the oh, guy on the yeah. front jack landing on his bum. In Did that... he? Oh, I missed oh, that. Oh, yeah, that's going to hurt this morning. Someone falling on their bum is always entertaining. That is, a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you not a... see that, Stu? I didn't see that, no. Someone will have to link me a Reddit link to that or something. Let me um, see if I can find it. Another one, another pit stop mishap was um, Hulkenberg's, wasn't it? Hulkenberg yeah, got dropped. Yeah, that's where I was going. Getting, like, trying to put the wheels on while it was on the ground without the jack up. Yeah, oh, Hulkenberg oh, yeah. had a shocker of a race, actually. They had everything that could go wrong for Hulkenberg went wrong. Renault as a whole had a, had a bit of a poor weekend this weekend. Well, poor Sunday, anyway. Here we go. I've got a video of that alpha pit stop for you, Stu. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! Oh. <laughs> so this is exactly the reaction it, it I was hoping for. The way the way it unfolds slowly, you can see it coming. Knowing it's going to happen, yeah. you're like, he's pulling it, he's pulling, he's pulling, he's pulling. He's, the driver's getting agitated. Then he goes, oh, oh no, it's so bad. Oh, so that's what's getting my vote. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a comic comedic moment of the weekend. I like that. I, I could have that. WTF. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd vote for that. <laughs> Two of them went down. I'm, keep, I'm just yeah. watching it on repeat. Right, I need to stop that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah, the poor oh. guy comes to help him and ends up going with him. Yeah. Oh, God. I bet he's, <laughs> that's right. He must have landed right on the coccyx. I've, I've landed on the coccyx before. It's not a very nice S- feeling. Sat in an ice pack today. Yeah. I once... <laughs> this is a funny story, actually. I once... I was skateboarding and um, I, was, I was doing a board slide. If you don't know what a board slide is, it's when you jump onto a rail and you, you board, you sort of horizontal, your board is like crossed over the rail and you're sliding along the rail. And the board went out from under my feet and I hit my coccyx on the end of the rail. And look, luckily for me, it was just around the back of mum and dad's house. And we had like a, an old, old lane that, that we sort of used to skate on. And I had to crawl all the way down the lane, <laughs> all the way down Mum and Dad's garden, back into Lyric, because I, I literally I couldn't stand, I could barely move. I hit it so hard, and yeah, I'll never forget that. It was really painful. So I feel for that guy. I feel for the uh, for the mechanic who's hit his backside there. It is not a nice feeling. But we're still going to give him WTF. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> WTF uh, should be Stu having to crawl all the way back to his mum and dad's house to be that's, fair. That, that if it was this weekend at least. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe back in the day. If this existed back in the day, I would have earned earned that award, but <laughs> not today. Uh right. Stu, do you want to take us through predictions? Why the devil not? Um we had a bit of a shocker as a tea as a hosting group this week. Only Tom scored a point out of us for correctly guessing that Grosjean was uh, going to be the first retirement. Um, Yay. The top three this weekend were Gabrielle Unverzagt, um, Ollie Smith and Sarah Simpson, um, all scoring three points and all identically predicting Charles Leclerc for the um, fastest qualifier, Lewis Hamilton for the win and Roman Grosjean for the first DNF. Then the overall championship, Timothy George still leads with 26.5 points. Max Couton has 24.5 and Katie O'Brien is on 23. So still all to play for, still close at the top. Um, Chris leads the hosts with 58, in 58 points with 50. Ugh. 
in 58th place with 15 points. And Tom and myself are down in 63rd with 14 points. <sighs> close stuff. It's very close. Very, very close in the middle. Chris is Ferrari in and Stu's Mercedes in. <laughs> and I'm just Red Bull in. Um, it's very close in the overall leaderboard as well like the although that top three has been the same for a few weeks they've not been scoring a ton of points um Mm. in fact previous champions that's life have like over the last few weeks clawed their way back up to fourth they're only one point off third now along with about three or four other people it's getting crazy yes yeah madness goodness it is really close isn't it well you only need to have like one good week and suddenly like you know you're right in the mix up you're going to jump up a bunch of places because so many people got similar scores um so yeah keep keep entering keep submitting your predictions um Um, and they'll be opening after the next episode for the japanese grand prix oh what was the fun fact about this week's results you told us earlier tom oh yeah so because of the way that it works when we do the finishing position of a specific driver, the random driver, if they DNF, the way that it counts is it's to do with like the position they DNF in. So Seb officially was 18th by our scoring system because of the way that he DNF'd after two other cars DNF'd. That meant that a bunch of people all got half a point for being as close as possible to that with a prediction of fifth. (laughs) (laughs) That's the closest anyone got to him being... 18th in the in the standings for the race so i mean congratulations to any of those people (laughs) congratulations to the cynics yeah yeah olene i enjoy that like as a podcast and and all of our listeners we collectively have so much faith in vettel that like not a single person thought he'd come lower than fifth yeah yeah a lot of faith in him there I'm seeing a um, lot of seconds and a lot of thirds. I, I wonder yeah, how yeah. many... Can we, is there a way of like arranging this? So, oh, yes, yeah, there can. is. Five people said first. Um, a whole bunch of people said second. Only eight people said uh, said fifth. Yeah, and that was the lowest. Lots of thirds. Most people predicted third, didn't they? Yeah, third, third and second were probably the two most, but I think third is the highest of them all. Yeah, well... Yeah, not 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 seeing a lot of faith among our listeners for Sebastian Vettel. Only yeah, you said only only five. Yeah, five <laughs> for first. Yeah, sorry, I led you down like a little path there. That <laughs> gave you nowhere nowhere to go, did you? You are, you wanted to get an answer from me, but you got one. <laughs> <laughs> I got maybe it wasn't an what you wanted, but you got one. <laughs> yeah, and that's, it. and that's it for predictions. <laughs> There you go. Uh, let's do a very quick bit of news. First up, McLaren Mercedes is going to be Yay! a thing again. After eight years, I think, since they um, since Ron Dennis t- cut the tires with Mercedes, saying yeah. you never win anything with a customer team when the customer when the uh, the manufacturers got their own team. McLaren proceeds to win nothing since then. Yeah, so he he hasn't been wrong so far. No, but um, when their contract with Renault runs out at the end of next season, they're going to be switching to Mercedes engines from 2021 onwards. I, I just, as as a McLaren fan, I can't help but feel, given their recent woes, that the second they switch to Mercedes, they'll stop being the fastest engine. I mean, they're already not the fastest engine, but yeah. you can just see Renault like pulling something out of the bag in 2021, the second Mercedes, uh, McLaren move yeah. away from them, can't you? Or Honda. Yeah, it's- it's down 
it's down on the cards now. That's it. Like, yeah. Now McLaren are going to Mercedes. It's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if Alonso comes back. Yeah, that blue yeah. and yellow livery is going to roll out like you predicted, Chris. Yeah, that's it. And the, the Renault is going to start winning again. Yep. It is, it is like, it's came out of the blue that this news, like it's, I don't think anyone really expected it, but all joking aside, I think it is probably a, a big positive for them going forward. Yeah. I, well, I just think looking back at like the, the few seasons they've had since they came to Honda and then, and then to Renault, the amount of unreliability they've had has just been astronomical, like ridiculous, ridiculous amounts of unreliability. Even this season, we've had a fair few um, engine woes and, and things from, power unit failures from from the Renault side so I think it is the right decision overall I think when you look at Mercedes reliability record the last retirement they had was Austria last year I think yeah completely it was a double retirement Um, and before that I think was Malaysia when that the one that cost Hamilton the title against Rosberg yeah yeah, um, and there in recent often, in recent times, I can't really think of any others. I don't know about you guys if you can think of any off the top of your head. I'm, I'm sure there'll are... be like ones that are customer teams, like uh, your racing points or yeah. But they were in practice were. sessions. They were engines that were sort of going anyway. I think a lot of the time, uh, yeah, potentially. Yeah. But I just mean it in general. Like, I don't think they're infallible, but they they're obviously the best out there um, for sure. Yeah, they're certainly the most reliable. And I think that at this point in McLaren's kind of um, rebuilding, I think it's probably wise to have the most reliable and probably the second quickest engine. The best engine. And in that regard, you'd call it the best engine still. So yeah, I think it's I think it's a good call. And I think they, they will be right in the mix. I think they could be beating sort of Red Bulls if they, if they, uh, if they had that Mercedes in the back of the... McLaren. Well, they they nearly beat the Mercedes team. Well, yeah, they, there you go. This early in the race, at least, yeah. like with the Renault in the back. So it does make me wonder, kind of, where they'd have been with the current yeah. chassis they've got if it had had something like a Merck engine in it. That's it. It would it's, be interesting to see. It's not like Bottas sailed by him as though he wasn't there, is it? Either. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, we've discussed how the track doesn't help, but even so, like you'd expect it to have been a bit easier than that for him. Yeah, for sure. In other news, uh, Nick De Vries wrapped up the Formula 2 title uh, this weekend um, with a race to spare. Um, he's kind of, he's a, he's a driver that's had his success after he's lost all his ties to Formula 1 teams. Um, yeah. But he's already signed up for a Mercedes Formula E seat next season. Um, so he's not going to be one of those F2 champions that just disappears into the ether, thankfully. And then Robert Schwartzman won the F3 title uh, in what was the final weekend of F3 this season. Uh, he is a Ferrari junior driver and he's already said he's 99% sure of uh, being able to step up into Formula 2 next season. Uh, so we'll Prima have to see C. where he pops up. Call it now. Prima. Yeah, probably Prima. Ferrari junior in Prima. It sounds yeah. good, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's the obvious obvious location yeah. for a Ferrari Junior driver. Yep. Um, but yeah, congratulations to them. Uh, both names to keep an eye on going forward, as always. Uh, let's finish with some inbox. Tom, do you want to start us off? I can do. Uh, so yeah, first up this week, Dennis uh, Garrison, I hope I said that right. Uh, do you think that what we saw at the Russian GP at Ferrari shows a lack of leadership? From the television feed, it almost looked like the drivers were discussing what to do via their engineers. Shouldn't the team manager just make the call and the drivers have to deal with it? Mm, 
I think the team did make the call, though. The drivers were choosing not to yeah. go along with it to a degree. At least in Seb's case, he was choosing to ignore it to a degree. It's Ferrari. It's always difficult with Ferrari because they sort of came out of the race and immediately the team had their line. The drivers didn't say anything overly critical and they've just kind of gone off back to Marinello and shut up shop and like... I feel like any other team in that situation, you'd have had uh, an angry team principal or one or two drivers complaining about stuff and it would have been this whole bigger thing. But Ferrari are just so good at keeping it all internal that it's kind of hard to tell exactly what's going on a lot of the time with them. Yeah, at times. Yeah. Um, I I don't really have much to add to that. I think you're right. (laughs) Yeah, it's... Lack of leadership, I'm not sure if it's that or if it's just... It's, it, it's it definitely, definitely not lack of leadership. It's not that. Sorry. But it also definitely feels like Vettel felt empowered to ignore the team or go against team orders without any real... I mean, the repercussions were they engineered him losing the lead, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's not like he fears being reprimanded by the team or anything. Yeah, but Cyrus said he's got a track record for it. He's, he's not the first time he's done it. I say a track record, he's done it like twice before, but <laughs> it's still been done. Uh, next up, uh, Dario Nessie says, how can Ferrari avoid an inner battle between its drivers, especially to not see a throwback to Rosberg versus Hamilton in Mercedes? <laughs> um, whereas at the same time, Victor Ernst says, am I the only one who thinks the beef between Vettel and Leclerc is dramatised by the media? I don't even think it's that big, which I definitely think there's an element of that. Yeah, well, yeah it sells headlines, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. I think if you want to see a real, you know, a real uh, inner battle, you need to go back to like 2007 for the um, Hamilton and uh, Alonso rivalry. Yeah, that was an inner battle. That was like absolutely spiteful almost. <laughs> that was like two yeah, separate yeah. teams operating within one team at that point, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. That was really, really savage. Um, the Rosberg versus Hamilton battle, yeah, it was intense, but I think, you know, it, everyone, it, it, stuff happened, but it wasn't quite as bad as the old way. Only just, better, only just not as bad as the uh, Alonso-Hamilton situation. Yeah, it's it's always that point where drivers stop driving teams and only drive themselves. And Rosberg-Hamilton crossed that line a few times between them for sure, but... Yeah, at that, that that Hamilton Alonso stage, it was there. There was no team anymore. It was just two drivers with their own yeah. crews and nothing else. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing is you got to remember that, like, not that many races ago, we were talking about Leclerc having to book his ideas up and start to, you know, drive better in order to cement himself properly in that team. Like, yeah, he's not had a glimmering perfect perfect season so far so you know he's only just got the legs on on Vettel and it could just be that he's found something in the car that's that is that's working for him and now you know Vettel's side of the garage have have clocked on to something that's working for them and and you know it is working for them so uh, I don't think there's a back to the original question I don't think there's an I don't think there's a lack of leadership at all I think I'm not. I'm, I've totally lost myself. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about the previous question. 
You need to be led into the next question, probably. <laughs> I'll bring some leadership and lead you into the next yeah, question. Yeah, could you, you lead like. me, please? Um, in terms of beef, yeah, it probably is over-dramatised. And um, how do they avoid an inner battle with its drivers? Just keep doing what they're doing and managing it on the racetrack. Like, engineer it so that if you do try to gain advantage in an unfair way, then you you fail. Yeah, I'd just like to point out, Stu has definitely said vetted me there because I tried to tell him to go into the next question and he exactly. just carried on doing what he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen the theme emerging. <laughs> He's vetted it. It's what he does. It's what he does. Does what he wants. <laughs> Multi twenty one, Stu. Yes. <laughs> Shall I go into the next one then, Gabriel Unversgat, who I mentioned earlier in um, uh, predictions oh, yeah, messages to say. Do you think Charles was being too pushy over the radio? And words to a similar effect from Patrick Broyston, who says um, he was giving uh, Leclerc a chance, but he just can't get over his whining. He did annoy me with it this week, though. Like I, during the race, I was like, he just. Well, I said it earlier as well during the episode, but like, I get that he felt aggrieved that he'd done the team plan and Seb had not, but get your head down then and show him that you are the faster driver. Like if you just let Seb drive four seconds up the road, like he did and don't stay with him, then like, I don't know. Like, I just think that he needed to get his head down, shut up and get on with it and whining about it was never going to achieve anything. I don't like it when any of them whine, to be totally honest. I don't like it when Lewis whinges. I don't like it when Seb whinges. Like they, they all do it at some point or another. Yeah, and it's just like I, I know that they vent in because it's a rubbish situation for them to be in. But I'd rather is either not broadcast it and just let them have a private whinge, or them dr- like grow up and not do it in the first place. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't exactly give them the hero status that um, not really. They, no, they they sort of try to put on them in the rest of the output yeah yeah no not at all uh, it's like it's like hamilton did a little bit of it though in in fairness like there's a point where hamilton was behind the two ferraris going oh guys you're getting away from us they're just too fast like oh it's like mate you're on medium tires and they're on soft tires just <laughs> grow up chill out and get on with what you're doing and wait for the pit stop strategy to play out and then see where everybody is like do the best you can in this scenario and just keep at it stop whinging about the fact that it's so far <laughs> down the road from you when you're on medium tires like it's a different strategy it's going to happen and i get that they're just venting and you know what i do it when i'm sim racing or whatever or playing games or anything like that or any kind of sport like everybody does it but i don't know doesn't mean everyone else wants to hear it. Yeah, exactly. I don't need to hear it on team yeah. radio as a broadcast. So, And now I've just whinged myself now. <laughs> well, if, if you really want to hear every bit of team radio, you could always tune into the team radio channel. Nobody wants yeah. that. F1, Nobody um, wants that. Yeah, on F1 TV. Nobody wants that. <laughs> Shall we do the next one? <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, Ricard just says, realistically, where could Hulkenberg end up in 2019? His only real F1 chance seems to be Williams, but will that get offered to him and would he take it? Is there another racing category he would go to if Williams won't take him? Will he ever get that podium? So many questions. Wow, so many questions. 
ever since Kubica said I'm leaving the sport, I've basically oh well, sorry, I, I'm leaving Williams after an interesting interview I saw this weekend. Hmm. I'm leaving Williams, not necessarily the support at uh, the the sport. I've been kind of trying to ship Hulkenberg and Williams together, but Hulkenberg does demand a lot of money from what I'm aware, so how likely he that does. is is another matter. I mean, George Russell said that he would like him to come and join him at Williams. Um, I think he could help them maybe discover what's going on with the car a little bit more and help them develop it to a degree. Like, he's got the experience of what 10 years now probably more consistency of being yeah. On the grid. Yeah, yeah in like decent teams it's not like i know he's never got that sort of higher end seat but he's always been in a good midfield team and had a good like battle about him i guess and always done fairly well against most of his teammates so yeah he's got the potential to help them out of the rut that they're in but it's whether or not they're willing to pay him to do it i guess I think the other problem is like Russell and Kubica have been very good. Kubica to a lesser extent, but still like they've still said the right positive things and not kind of aired their dirty laundry in public so much. And I just can't see, you know, if Williams have another rough season next year, I can't see Hulkenberg at this point in his career playing the PR game and not only saying the nice mm. things like I can just envision him complaining a lot and that wouldn't be a good look from a Williams point of view yeah I guess there is that but yeah honestly I think he's going to pop up in WEC or something like that maybe even IndyCar yeah. something like that I can't, I can't see him going for that Williams seat if I'm completely honest yeah maybe Formula E could be a Formula E driver he doesn't. He doesn't agree with the whole all electric thing, though, does he? Yeah, he's on the. He, he's, bring got, back he's got beef with that. The so he's not even there. Like, I don't think. If you, if there's no drive on the table and someone's offering you a, a Formula E seat and it's a world championship, are you going to turn your nose about it? Yeah, maybe not. If that's your option, go for it. Mm. A nice quick one next. Alex Thompson says, where do we think Hamilton will win his sixth title? Uh, can't win it in Japan, likely to be Mexico, potentially US, should have won it by Brazil. We'll be shocked if it's gone to happen. Have they? What do we reckon? Um, yeah, we've kind of like, you know, a loose grasp on the title, I think we said, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. I reckon, given recent results, I reckon it's going to be US. He'll get it. He won't quite manage it in Mexico yeah. this year. Yeah. I'd, I'd agree. Like um, the the way that the Ferraris are generally the better car everywhere now, um, they're gonna struggle to one two anything for yeah. the rest of the season. I think um, from a Mercedes perspective. Yeah. So I'd have guessed that it's probably gonna be around US more than likely. Yeah. Plus, it two or three times it done it there already, hasn't it? So yeah, Mercedes could win the constructors in japan next week oh really yeah yeah the constructors is a lot more sewn up isn't it oh yeah it's like 160 odd points difference now yeah question is like where do you think he'll win it if he does win it probably but i think he'll do it in mexico do you reckon yeah yeah it's I a nice place will. to win a title with the baseball stadium yeah yeah, and all yeah that. it is actually yeah, you do always that. you get great photos usa would be nice like the usa would be a good place to win it as well but I, yeah yeah is USA net? Is USA after Japan or is Mexico after Japan? I think it's Japan, Japan then Mexico, then US, I believe. Yeah. yeah. 
So I'd pre- I'd pre- I think I'd prefer to see him win it in the USA, and I think he'd really like to win it in the USA. I think as well. so as well. And I think when the last one he won, they swapped USA and Mexico round, haven't they this year? Yeah, Is that right. I think that's so, right. Yeah. So the chances are, if 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 we're following history, then it'd be the it'd be that race. It'd be the same round. So I think he'd enjoy that. Of the last few, he's won them US, Mexico, US. I think. If I remember rightly, he's already won two in the US, and he's won one in Mexico of the I last three. Right? I seem, I seem to remember. I don't know. I seem to remember last season he really wanted to win it in the USA and then didn't. Last Reichen season was definitely Mexico. Um, you, yeah, I said USA. Oh, uh, maybe it may have done him the wrong way around. But he, yeah, he, like he's definitely won at least one in the US recently, and he's won Same. one in Mexico. Oh, speaking of Hamilton, another stat I saw today. If slash when he wins this title, he'll be only the third ever driver to win three world championships in a row. The others being Schumacher and Vettel, which surprised me, actually. I'd have thought someone else would have done that over the years, but Mm. apparently not. Not that many have won three total, though, have they really? That's very true, yeah. I said that'd be a quick question. We've been talking about it for like five minutes. (laughs) I really want to know where he's won all of his... um titles now as well i'll go look it up <laughs> while you do the next question <laughs> mark alvarez says hey guys just had a thought around the recent mercedes one two wouldn't it have been appropriate if mercedes would have switched hamilton and bottas to give valtteri the win could have been repayment for last year or last or and for last weekend at singapore james did mention something about i'll pay it back to you thoughts uh I think when James was saying he paid it back to him, he was probably thinking about after the World Championships showing up. Yeah, right? maybe. Plus, like, yeah, it, it sounds nice, but no driver wants to just be given a win like that. Like, nah. You're not, not going to really. take the same enjoyment just being handed a win because it's a nice thing to do rather than earning a win. Yeah. Just look at when it happened, when Hamilton got the win in Russia last year. Exactly, Hamilton yeah. Hamilton wasn't happy to win that race. Like, he, he, I'm pretty sure he swapped seats with um, with Bottas and put him on the top of the podium, didn't he? I think he did, yeah. That was one of those podiums where none of the drivers on it looked particularly happy. Yeah, yeah, it was a grim podium. Yeah. It's never, it's never good to just be handed it, is it? No. No. Lastly, Owen Finlay says, uh, if Red Bull had Albon in the car from the start of the season, would they be ahead of the Ferraris? So I guess the question is, would Albon have scored 100 more points in the first half of the season than Gasly did? And I would say probably not. <laughs> like, although they were close for a while, 100 points is a big gap. Um, most of the reason they got as close as they did was that run that um, Verstappen went on where he got a couple of wins and a podium in a short space of time. Yeah, I might have been sure closer. They would, they'd, be, they'd be much closer, but I don't think they'd be quite ahead. No, I don't think so. Yeah, especially given the run that Ferrari are currently going on as well. Yeah, Tom, what do you think? Um, I think it'd be closer for definite, but whether they'd be able to overturn it or not is another matter, I guess. Yeah, um, it's all hypotheticals, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I guess to figure that one out at the end of the season. Yeah, do the maths yeah. on it. You, you could maybe work out the average position of Albon against the average position of Gasly and see what the point difference would be. Hmm. Some postseason maths we can do. 
Um, but for this week, I think that will just about do us. Uh, we had lots and lots of inbox, so if we didn't get to yours, we apologize, but keep sending them in and we will get to as many as we can every week. Um, as always, please like, share, subscribe in all the places because uh, it helps us lots. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, we're on Twitter at Back of the Grid F1, Facebook, just search for Back of the Grid, and Instagram is at Back of the Grid. Or you can visit our website, backofthegrid.com, where you can see exactly where you came in the uh, Predictions League this week and where you are overall. And if you've not already, to sign up so you can enter for the last few races of the season. Uh, but until next week, that will do us. So thank you very much for joining us and goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. In answer to the question, 2015, he won it in the US. 16 was obviously Rosberg. 17, I'm still trying to work out because it doesn't tell me on Wikipedia. <laughs> and 18 was Mexico. He's done two in Mexico, so it must be Mexico. Yeah, I think, I think they were both Mexico, yeah. Yeah. Problem solved. Fun fact. It was the, it was the constructors that was um, in the US that I was maybe confused myself with, yeah. for the record. I like how we've got like a fact in as an outtake at the end of an episode. <laughs> Makes a change. <laughs> it's usually fact free back here. Yeah. For the record, no silences this week. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> yeah, your freely is over. <laughs>